Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. That's a great song, great song service. Appreciate Jeff's talent being put to use like that. I've got a, a special pop quiz for you. Don't get nervous. It's open book. It's open bulletin. It's open banner. What is next Sunday? One of these days, the, the elders are going to wisen up and disfellowship this guy over here. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. Okay, let me say it again. What is next Sunday? Yes. Yes. And, and Mission Sunday is what day? February 18th, which is next Sunday. Yeah, yeah, they make sure that you cannot miss it. And uh, remember that everything given next Sunday, we really want you to be generous because it's going to go toward uh, the gospel chariots in Africa, but also toward David Gibson. If we give enough, if we give enough, he'll move there permanently. So I am, I am breaking the bank. I'm breaking the bank, and I am giving next Sunday. So I encourage you to do the same thing. And uh, we are about missions, and I'm, I'm so grateful for everything that Valley View supports and uh, I wish you realized and just could fully appreciate every dollar you put in there. But we've also got people going to Haiti. Don't you forget. Don't you forget to pray for our members who are going to give their time to that work in Haiti. And every day that they're over there, be sure to give a prayer to God uh, for their welfare. Uh, this Tuesday, don't forget those of you who are couples. Listen, don't sign up. Don't miss this thing. Magical night of romance. I love this. Paul came up with that. Uh, I think he said romance and laughter, and I don't really understand the combination. But anyway, it's going to work on Tuesday, and we still need some babysitting help. So if there's anybody who really wants to be selfless and devoted to these young couples and, and, and really wants to foster and nurture marriage, consider being a babysitter for a couple hours on Tuesday if you can. Uh, don't forget also that, um, well, I won't say don't forget. I, I just want to remind you of... How impressive uh, Charlotte's work last night was with a father-daughter thing. Those of you who came, th these men dressed up, you would not believe how handsome they looked and these beautiful young ladies. I looked at them, I said, thank goodness you look like your mamas, and it's true. They look like their mamas, and it was an amazing thing. It's a great thing Valley View does. I also want to tell you about a couple of things. I, everything may be going hunky-dory in your life right now, right? But don't forget that as a fellowship, we share stuff. And I'm looking over here to Drew... Uh, uh, Ferguson over here, she's been at the med sitting with her mom the whole week. And there's a lot of stuff that Brandon has to do and Annalie has to, to do and enduring that. I don't want you to forget them. Do not forget what they're going through. Think about them as you go through your week. And the Wilsons waiting on a medical test. That's a scary thing, isn't it? And we as a church, I love the way Kelly Phipps put it in class. I'm sure they have an angst. And he said, I have an angst. Do you have an angst about that? It concerns you. It's an anxiety you have. And so let's, let's be in prayer and let's believe in it and let's pray for each other. I want to introduce somebody who's come the longest distance of anybody. Anybody want to challenge Guatemala as your longest distance for this morning? I didn't think so. Bear Tony, would you wave? Yes. He doesn't know English much, but don't increase your volume, okay? Because that's not going to help anything. Just talking louder. He's from Guatemala, spending some time with the marshes, and, and we'd love to make him feel welcome. So be sure to, to say hello to him and let him say hello to you, get to know your faces, and maybe make, maybe make uh, Valley View a home for a long time. It'd be great to have him with us. If you would be making your way to Matthew chapter 5. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak. Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Do not think. Remember, this is the constitution of the kingdom of God. This is the guiding life principles for anyone who's in the kingdom of God and God's people. And Jesus comes along and says, Do not think that I've come to get rid of the old law or the prophets. I have not come to get rid of them. Now, why would Jesus worry about this? There were rumors going around that Jesus just said, you know what, the law doesn't matter. I don't care about the law of God, just live any way you want to. The age of grace has come, and it suspends all law. And there were rumors going around that Jesus didn't believe in the law at all. It makes you wonder what it was about Jesus that made people think that he had that position. One of the reasons, I'm sure, is that he hung around sinful people. Everywhere Jesus went, it seemed like sinful people came to him. They were hungry to hear what he had to say. And when they had a party at their house, they'd invite Jesus over. And something about Jesus drew them to him. And the law, the Pharisees thought, There's, the only explanation for this is that he doesn't teach in the law. Because real righteous people make sure that sinful people know where they stand. We give them a look that makes it clear you're bad. We give them postures and gestures that make it clear that they're not up to God's standards. And so here's Jesus who's friendly with them. He must believe in all grace and no law. That's what the rumors were saying about Jesus. There might be another reason. Maybe it was because he's always fighting with the religious elite. The Pharisees and the scribes were living Bibles. If anybody knew where that verse was, ask a Pharisee. If anybody want to know what real righteousness is supposed to look like, look at a Pharisee. They're walking around in starched clothing, doing everything right. They are the religious elite, and yet here's Jesus fussing with them all the time. And the only reason to explain that is that they believe in the law, and Jesus just disregards the law. And so these rumors were going around, and Jesus, establishing the constitution for the kingdom of God, says, don't you dare believe that. This rumor is still around, y'all. It sounds like this. The Old Testament doesn't count. It has nothing to do with us. Just ignore it. Just act like it's not even there. Just start with Jesus, go on. You don't need to worry about the old law. Jesus begs to differ with this. Now listen to the rest of it. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I'm telling you the truth, he says. Until heaven and earth passes away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments of the old law and teaches others to relax those commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does those commandments and teaches other people to do those commandments will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I'm going to tell you that unless your righteousness is better and exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you might as well not enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't. You must have a higher righteousness than them. And I want you to know, that to us, that doesn't sound like a big deal. His original hearers would have inserted a gasp here. It would have been like, what? We've got to be better than the Pharisees? Pharisees? 
Unless you're as good as LeBron James, don't even pick up a basketball. Unless you're as good as Tom Brady, don't even think about ever even considering practicing being a quarterback. Unless you can paint like Picasso, don't pick up a brush. That's what he's saying. And these people are like, how in the world can you say that? Unless you can preach as good as the Valley View preacher, don't even try it. That's pretty amazing to think that our righteousness has to be perfect. It has to fulfill the old law, and you wonder, how can we do this? How is that even possible? And it's only possible because of what Jesus says in that first verse. I have come not to abolish it. I'm not getting rid of it. I'm fulfilling it. And then once, you walk, once you're in Christ, you, through Christ, fulfill it yourself. We have to, we are not under the old law, but we do keep it. We are not under it, but we do keep it. And that's the only way you can be in the kingdom of God. And you think, how in the world can that be? It's the secret is in the word fulfill. Here a moment ago, when he read that passage out loud, I thought, man, that just sounds crazy. And several of us said amen, and I wanted to say, man, that's too hard. I can't say amen to that. Church, unless you can be perfect in the law, you can't ever be in the kingdom. How in the world is that so? Jesus fulfilled the law. And there's two definitions of fulfilled that Matthew uses most often, and Jesus means both of them. Okay, so here's the deal. Because of Jesus, some parts of the law have been completed. Some of them have done their job and no longer apply. Parts of the law were pointing to Jesus. There's something to come, and all the law and the prophets are pointing. There's something to come. There's something to come. Don't miss it. And then when Jesus comes, that role of that part of the, of the law and the prophets is no longer applicable because Jesus came, and there it is. That's what it was all about. Let me give you some examples. The Passover. The Passover was this great festival they observed every first month of every year. They remembered that great deliverance from Egypt, that great redemptive moment of the Old Testament believers. They celebrated it meticulously. They had all these rules and regulations for how they'd honor it. And it was pointing back to that moment when they put the blood of that animal on the door. And by the way, it's not the animal's blood that spared them. It's the blood of Christ. That's what it was, the fullness. And so when Christ came and offered his blood, our Passover has been sacrificed. We don't need to keep the Passover because we've already kept it in Christ. He's done it for us. So Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and here's what he says. I want you to see it about halfway down the line. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The Passover was one day, and the next seven days you ate bread without yeast to celebrate and remember that hasty departure from, from Egypt. But in the new covenant, when Christ comes, our sacrifice for once for all time has already been offered. The Passover lamb's been offered, and for the rest of our lives, we get sin and worldliness out of our lives because of what he did for us. We are observing the Passover all the time in our Christian lives. We don't need, we aren't under the Passover, but we We've kept it. We don't have to worry about all that regulation anymore. That's just one of them. Here's another one, the Sabbath. If I hear anybody anymore come up and say, we're still under the Ten Commandments, aren't we? No, we're not. 
We don't need some granite monument of the Ten Commandments. We are not under the Ten Commandments, church. That is not our guide for life. And one of the big reasons why you know that is number four. That you're supposed to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How many of you have honored the Sabbath ever in your life? That's what I thought. So how are you keeping the Ten Commandments? And don't tell me that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. That's a bunch of baloney too. This is not the Christian Sabbath. Jesus is the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day to st- celebrate rest because God's taken care of us and we don't, have to, we don't have to work and clamor to get God's approval. And do you know who provided that for us? I want you to remember this from Matthew 11. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you... Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find... Jesus is our Sabbath. You are not under Sabbath, but you keep it. You keep it because you rest every single day knowing I don't have to work for God's approval. I'm working from it. I'm working from it to work for him and celebrate him every day. There's another one that I'm I'm pretty fond of. It's called circumcision. I I say fond of. I mean, I'm, I'm fond of the fact that Jesus fulfilled it. I was circumcised when I was born, and I couldn't walk for a whole year. But I'm telling you, (laughs) that's terrible. I've always wanted to use that, didn't know where to put it. Uh, New Covenant, circumcision, cutting off the foreskin, and celebrating in a mark of the covenant. Look at what the New Testament says. "In In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. Those of you who've been baptized into Christ were circumcised, cut away from your old life, and now you live a new one. I want a, I want a show of hands. Spiritually, how many of you, this, of you this morning have been circumcised? I don't see a single lady raising your hand, but it's true. It's true. We are not under circumcision, but we've all received circumcision through Christ, and we've kept that part of the law. Now, that part of the law is now gone. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have value. I like the way Gary James put it. You buy a house, and you sign this contract, and for 30 years, the contract is in absolute force. You have to honor the letter of that law. But the day you make the final payment, that contract now is expired. It's still interesting. It's still rich for understanding, appreciating where you've come from. And we need to know this Old Testament. We need to appreciate it, and we'll appreciate Jesus more the more we know about circumcision and Sabbath and the more we know about Passover we will appreciate Jesus more and more but we are not under that we are in Christ and when we are in Christ we fulfill all that perfectly perfectly and because of that you don't have to worry about so much of this stuff in the Old Testament I'm so grateful I'm so grateful he fulfilled the food laws we can have bacon and catfish all we want to and not feel guilty Because in the Old Testament, one of the things that separated you from everybody else is whether you ate pork or not. In the New Testament, the only thing that separates anybody from from God is Christ. And as long as you're in Christ, there's nothing in the world that can keep you from him. Anything that you eat or you wear, any weird kind of celebration of holidays. I'm glad I live when I live. Jesus fulfilled this part of the old covenant and because he did we don't have to I liken this to say to our teenagers listen we want you to have practice self-control God doesn't want you to have sex before marriage then once you get married that that kind of fades away 
Because now you've met that requirement, and now, now you can and participate in that freely and without guilt or shame. Or a coupon you use at Sam's. It's worth two bucks. There's no expiration date. You can use it whenever you want to, but as soon as you use it, that paper becomes useless because you've what? You've redeemed it. And when God redeemed that Old Testament through Christ, much of that Old Covenant was fulfilled in Jesus. You are not burdened with it. You are free from it, but you've kept it. You're not under it, but you've kept it. That's not the only use of the word fulfill, though. In the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, you see how Jesus means it. Because of Jesus, we can honor the law more fully as God intended it to. Some parts of the old law are still in effect only because Jesus embodied them and passed them on to us. He fulfilled them to God's original intent. And you can mark these in the verse. If you look at chapter 5, you've heard it said by them of old, verse 21, You've heard it said, verse 27. You've heard it said, verse 31. He says, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not challenging the law as it's written by God. I'm challenging how the Pharisees have applied the law. I'm, 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 I'm fighting against how they've interpreted it. Jesus becomes the authorized, God-approved, perfectly illustrated interpreter of the law. It's more than just murder, y'all. When he said, do not murder, he didn't just want us to refrain from stabbing to death our neighbor. God had something deeper in mind, but we missed it all these years, and the Pharisees made this some kind of intricate external regulation that they could keep perfectly, but it didn't change their hearts. And so because of Jesus, not only are some parts of the Old Testament now fulfilled in him, but some parts of the Old Testament and some parts of the Old Law are more fully understood and now we can more fully keep them and go to God's intended purpose. For the Pharisees, this is how, God, how Jesus described it. They were like whitewashed sepulchers. What that means is this was an above-ground burial. You'd put the bones of family members in this thing, and you'd roll the stone away, and there's the sepulcher in your backyard somewhere. And you'd paint it up, and you'd put nice flowers. You'd put roses good smelling things in front of it, and it looked all pretty out there. But on the inside, nasty, stinky, de desecrated human bodies. You wouldn't want to go in there. And Jesus says, you know what that's like, Pharisees? You keep everything perfect on the external, but the internal is rotting away. And so one way, there's a couple of ways I want us to look at this. One way that our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees is because God's law is as internal as it is external. He's not just trying to regulate our body parts. He's trying to reach into our hearts and make us be righteous even when no one's looking. He wants us to be righteous enough that instead of just not killing somebody, we don't belittle people, we don't bully people, we don't make them feel less than human with the words we use, the looks we give, the gestures we have toward them. We don't make them feel like there's nothing of value in them because they've been made in the image of God and we do not destroy that with our looks and our words and our actions toward them. That's murder. And a lot of people get to the end of the day and you've never stabbed anybody. but you've snuffed out the image of God in their conscious mind by treating them as less than human. God's concerned about that righteousness too. 
God's concerned that you not just be faithful to your spouse over 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but that, but that you regulate the inner man and don't let your heart get set on anyone else, emotionally or physically. Those Pharisees likely celebrated their 50th anniversary and they're bragging about how they've never committed adultery. And yet if you go home and look under the mattress, there was pornography everywhere. That's not what God's talking about because God wants it to reach the inner part. He wants it to go deep, down deep and not just touch the externals. He wants it to reach the internal, to change the heart, to where you say to yourself, whatever it takes me to be faithful to my spouse, even if it means plucking out my eyes, I'll do it because God's concerned about that too. That's harder, isn't it? That's a righteousness that exceeds the externals. That's tough, and that's getting meddlesome, but that's not only what Jesus taught, that's what Jesus did. And when we are in Christ, we want to do the same thing. You're going to be imperfect at this church, but if you're in Christ, that's what you do. In Mark 7, where Jesus declares all foods clean, he says, guys, why are we so hooked up on food control? Why are you so absorbed with whether you put pork in your body or not? It does nothing about your spiritual life. You're so, you're food controlled at the table, but when you go home, you have no self-control in your heart. How in the world? Could, and by, uh, by doing this, she said, I don't care about the food laws anymore. I've come to fulfill the law. I'm concerned about what's on the inside. And so I look at you, and y'all look nice this morning, and you're here in the church building, but I'm going to tell you this. While I applaud you being here, God's looking at you right now, and he's wondering, or he's knowing. He's looking at you, and he's saying, are they really worshiping or not? You can be here on the premises and not be fulfilling the promises. Only God knows that difference, but God is concerned about it. And I want you to know in Christ, what we're concerned about is a righteousness that's more than skin deep, or a righteousness that goes to the level of the heart. But I want you to look at this second one. This is really crazy. The righteousness beyond the scribes and Pharisees is also concerned about the other person and not just myself. In Deuteronomy 24, a situation began arising and God had to address it. What the Jews were doing is that they were married to someone and this hot thing walked by during the day at the office and they decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my wife a divorce, keep her in a back room somewhere, have my fling with this girl for two weeks and then come back and remarry my wife. And they kept doing that over and over again, thinking somehow they've kept their wife in a certain way, but they also got to have their fling. And here's what God said, Deuteronomy 24. If a man is married to a woman, gives her a certificate of divorce, sends her away, goes after another woman, he cannot under any circumstances go back to the original wife. God is protecting the original wife from being treated as a piece of meat. And God says, I'm a, I find that abomination. Now here's what's interesting. A lot of people I know will say, the only way to make things right is split them up with this divorce, go back to the original one. The very thing God hates. Crazy. He's protecting the woman. But I want you to see something in this particular passage. Look at verse 31. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This next line is so weird, I'm wondering if Jesus says it. I know he does. I'm not doubting that. It's just crazy. Listen to this. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Doesn't he as well? If he divorces her, 
not for sexual immorality, is he not committing adultery? Nod. Yeah, but he doesn't even mention him. You don't want to, God is, Jesus is saying, I don't want divorce at all because when you divorce her, you're putting her in a position where she's going to have to marry again, not for sexual happiness and not for enjoyment of life, but in order to survive, she's going to have to marry again and become an adulteress and you're the one who led her into that. I want you to be righteous so that she doesn't sin. Do you get this? What your behavior and how it impacts other people spiritually is of concern to the kingdom citizen. I am as concerned about my uh, behavior's spiritual impact on you as it is on me. I'm not going to divorce my wife because to do so would send her into sin. And I love her too much for that. Oh, that's the kind of righteousness we need. We care about each other enough. Here's how bad it gets. Something I have done and said about somebody else at church, it got back to them, and it hurt their feelings, and it was my fault. And what he says in the Sermon on the Mount is, no, you haven't murdered them, but you've hurt them intensely, and you've spiritually hurt them, so don't come to church. When you're laying your gift before the altar and there you remember your, your actions and your words spiritually hurt somebody else, leave your gift. Leave your words in your mouth. Don't sing them to me. Leave your words in your mouth. Go find that other brother. You fix things and then you come back because your behavior spiritually hurts somebody else and you care because your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And yes, I can, I can speak deceitfully to make you think I'm saying one thing and say another. And so they would say this. Well, when I was telling you that I would be there at, your, at the youth rally, you know, come to CYC, I said I was going to be there, but I didn't swear I would, and so it didn't really count. And you let somebody down, and you didn't fulfill your word, and you went back on your word because you didn't swear. And what Jesus says is, we care that every word we speak is the truth. Every word, because I don't want to misrepresent myself to you at all. I'm concerned about this. I can tell you personally, there's many things like this. I think maybe a lottery ticket's like this, and I think maybe... I think maybe drinking is like this. Me and myself, before God, vertically, I could buy a lottery ticket. I could drink and keep it under control, I think. I've never tried it, except in communion and overseas, and that's a little unfair. I think I could do that and not sin. I'm just not sure how that might impact my brother. And you say, well, who cares? Righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees cares. I do care what my behavior does to somebody else. Can that be taken to an unhealthy extreme? Sure it can. But I want you to know, the righteousness that Jesus calls for and that he lived out, he did care what the implications of his physical and spiritual decisions and teachings had on other people. There's one other level I want you to see in these, and that is that the righteousness God wants tries to model God and not just the majority. In the Old Testament, there was this law that kept you from going overboard. So say you're 
Who were we talking about in class? Uh, I'm going to use this. Somebody mentioned this. Oh, um, I anyway, let's say you're in kindergarten, right? And somebody gets, jumps in front of you in the food. Oh, it was, it was Gunner. It's Gunner. Where's Gunner? Right back here. He's, he said, if I was in kindergarten, somebody jumped in front of me in the food line in the cafeteria, I'd beat him to death. Okay. And I thought, don't you think that's a bit of an extreme? But human behavior is like that. If I'm in line at Walmart and somebody shoves me from behind, it's just a little shove and it's a little inconvenient, but turn around and I'd really like to take their kneecaps off. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just respond this way. That's a little overkill. And so in the Old Testament, it says, I tell you what, if Gary James punches you and blacks your eye, you have the right to black his eye, but you can't, you can't cut his fingers off. I mean, that's just a little over. It regulated your vengeance. And what God says in the Sermon on the Mount is, through Jesus, he says, God never intends you to do that. Why don't, instead of you being like most people and how you'd respond, why don't you choose instead to model God? Because what God does is even when somebody shakes their fist in rebellion against him and lives in a way that dishonors him, he still sends rain on them and he still sends sun. And he's very patient. He's very patient and forgiving and long-suffering. Why don't you model God and you forgive and turn the other cheek? And then there's this law, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. The law never says hate your enemy. That's one of the Pharisees' teachings. God says, I want you to be like your Father in heaven. I don't want you to be like the tax collector, the sinner, who's nice to everybody who greets them and is kind to everybody who's kind to them. I want you to go beyond this. I want you to be the son of your Father in heaven, and I want you to love and bless those who curse you. And I want you to be patient with those who drive you crazy. And I want you to bear with those who are different with you. That's how you're like God. And true righteousness seeks to be like God, not just like the best of humans. That's what Jesus modeled, and that's what we're called to. That's how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and the old law. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to follow Jesus. He is the only one who fulfilled the Old Testament. And if we have to fulfill that Old Testament in order to be in the kingdom, the only way to do that is to be in Christ. This morning, those of you who are in Christ, many of you are, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he lived on this life and taught perfectly and you've made him Lord of your life. You've been immersed in the waters of baptism, joined him in his death, burial, and resurrection, and you rose to walk a new life in the footsteps that Jesus left behind, you objectively this morning, you have fulfilled the law of God and you're continuing to. Isn't that amazing? It's not your behavior, it's Jesus. It's Jesus himself. And if you're in him, you've done this and you're striving to make it real and actualized in your real life. You don't have to do some of that Old Testament stuff. You want to understand it, but you don't, want, you don't have to do it. And because of Jesus, you're living out the true intent of the Old Testament law. But if you're not in Christ this morning, you're not in the kingdom of God, and you're actually under its condemnation. I want to share one quick illustration with you, see if you recognize this guy. <coughs> it's John the Baptist, real live picture, taken. No, I don't, I, but, but he looked a lot like that. And this is what Jesus said of him in Matthew 11. I want you to hear this. Among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said he's the greatest man who ever lived. Moses, Elijah, none of them were better than John the Baptist. And yet, what's the rest of it say? The least person in the kingdom of heaven is better than him. How in the world do you explain that? 
because everybody who's in the kingdom of God is in Christ, and in Christ we fulfill the law perfectly better than anyone else. I stand before you this morning. You're going to find this unbelievable. I am sinless, and I am perfect. You find that hard to believe? Melissa's going, <laughs> yeah, I'm sinless and perfect. When, Jesus, when God looks at me, all he sees is his son, and I have perfectly fulfilled the law of God, not because of me, but because I made the choice one day to submit to the lordship of Christ and be in Christ, and through Christ, I complete the law perfectly. And as sinful as my external actions are sometimes, I'm greater than John the Baptist ever was because he was never in Christ. Crazy, isn't it? It's crazy, but it's amazing to know that by virtue of being in Christ, I've done everything necessary, and I stand before God perfect in every way. Grace. If you are in Christ, you've done the same. He fulfilled the law for you, and every day he's helping you fulfill the law in your steps. I would advise you this morning of this. I don't care how good you are, and I don't care how good your family has been in the church. There's only one way you can be in the kingdom of God, and there's only one way you're going to get to heaven, and that's if you're in Christ and if you make the choice to join him. That's it. That's your only opportunity. This is the only way. Don't go looking for ways that you can improve your behavior before you come to Christ. You'll never be good enough. But you can be in Christ and let him be good enough for you. So I'm going to let Jesus say it. I'm going to let Jesus say it right here. I'm going to change the me to him. Come to him, all you who are weary and burdened. You've tried every way that you can to be good enough and better enough and, and, and just have a right enough behavior. You've tried everything and you're burdened. And he is going to give you rest. Take his yoke upon you. It's the kingdom ethic, but it's a kingdom ethic lived in Christ. Learn from him, for he's gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. If you're tired and weary of trying to be good enough, quit. Trust Jesus. And through Jesus, you'll fulfill the entire intent of the law. And that can happen this morning when you name him with your lips and you're immersed in the waters of baptism. You can do that right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.